Good morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn to Genesis chapter 25? We'll get there momentarily. This morning, we continue our series on some of the lesser known characters in the Bible by looking at a guy by the name of Esau. And maybe the best way to describe Esau is to say he was the son who could not win. No matter what Esau did, things always seemed to go wrong. Esau is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Remember, Isaac was the son that Abraham was willing to, to put on the altar. So Esau is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. Let's look at Genesis 25, verse 19. It says, this is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We've got another old man that's a father. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Now Isaac is 60 when Jacob and Esau are born. And remember what we learned in week one. Remember that there were some scholars that thought Cain and Abel may have been twins. We talked about that in our sermon on Cain back in week one. But in this instance, the Bible makes it clear that these two brothers are in fact twins. Notice a couple items that God tells Rebecca in verse 23. The Lord calls the two individuals in her womb two nations. He says they will be separated, and he says the older will serve the younger. Well, the older son was named Esau, and the Bible says that he had a whole body that was like a hairy garment. Probably the hairiest guy that I have ever seen was this guy. If you see on your screen, his name was George the Animal Steel. He was a former pro wrestler that was known for eating turnbuckles, for his green tongue, and for his infatuation with a wrestling manager named Elizabeth, and for his hairy body. Um, I have a photo of George. I've also, on your screen, you see a cartoon of George the Animal Steel. And even in the cartoon, he has a hairy garment. Would you want to wrestle George the Animal Steel? Would you want to wrestle that hairy garment? George the Animal Steel was a school teacher by trade. And interestingly enough, he was a devout Christian. He died at the age of 79 in 2017. He was married for almost 60 years. Would you cuddle with George the Animal Steel for 60 years? George the Animal in his hairy garment for 60 years? Probably not. 
The name Jacob literally means he grasps the heel. Jacob was an exact opposite of Esau. Esau loved to hunt. He loved the outdoors. Jacob loved to stay among the tents. And you may hear preachers call Jacob a mama's boy. That may be a little extreme. Chuck Swindoll, in his book on, on Esau, uses the word cultured and civilized to describe Jacob. So we have exact opposites in these two brothers. We have rugged, outdoorsy Esau, and we kind of have a stay-at-home, civilized Jacob. Look again at verse 28. This is where most of the problems start. It says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And that doesn't sound very healthy in English. It sounds like they were playing favorites a little bit, but it's even more obvious in the language and culture of the Bible. I don't want to go too in-depth with this, but if someone is said to love something in the Hebrew language, there is an implied comparison. If I were to say, I love Lynn, uh, somebody listening back in ancient uh, Eastern uh, listener would have said or would have possibly thought, you love Lynn more than whom? So saying I loved, uh, Isaac loved Esau strongly suggests that Isaac loved Esau more than he did anyone else and that he showed exclusive special favor to him. It doesn't mean that Isaac didn't love Jacob, but it clearly suggests that Isaac had a favorite. And that favorite was Esau, who he loved more. And Rebekah showed that same kind of favoritism to Jacob. A lot of it stems back to their similar interests. Esau loved the outdoors, so he was naturally attracted to his father Isaac, who loved the outdoors. Jacob and Rebekah both preferred to stay at home. And having similar interests obviously helped strengthen relationships, but it shouldn't lead to having favorites. And that's exactly what happened in this instance. Look at Genesis 25, verse 29. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Lord, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew he ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau gave up his birthright, which was an incredible blessing that he was entitled to as the firstborn in the family. For example, the birthright entitled Esau to supremacy over all other branches of the family. He was entitled to a double portion of the father's inheritance. The land of Canaan, the promised land, was attached to the birthright. The birthright also guaranteed that you would be a, a, an ancestor to Jesus, the Messiah. It was a big, big deal to have this birthright. Just looking at the financial aspect of this birthright, it would be comparable to being the heir of a large estate. Can you imagine being the first son of Bill Gates, and Bill has made it clear to you that the money is yours when he dies. That's the kind of situation Esau was in. Plus, he has the chance to be the great, 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 great grandfather to Jesus. Have you all ever seen that game show, uh, Let's Make a Deal? I think it airs at 10 a.m. right now on CBS, and uh, being a quarantine, my 11-year-old Ty has fallen in love with this game show. It's part of his school every day. And it, it airs on CBS with Wayne Brady as the head host, head, head, head host. But the real Let's Make a Deal 
was uh, airs on the game show network on reruns, and it was hosted by this guy right here, a guy by the name of Monty Hall. And one of the legendary phrases that Monty Hall would say, we would say, do you want what's in the box or do you want what's behind the curtain? It was a game full of trades. Would you trade what you see in the box for something that you don't see behind curtain number two? Would you trade what you just saw in curtain number two for something that you can't see behind curtain number three. It was a game of high risk and the potential for high reward. Listen to how they describe it on the Let's Make a Deal website. It says, sometimes when a trader had decided to take the curtain, Monty offered to buy it back again. $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 not to take the curtain. Traders never knew how high he would go. Prizes were disguised, so the traders were never sure whether a garbage can, for instance, contained a mink coat or just garbage, or which of three envelopes contained $1,000. The decision-making was exciting and suspenseful. Would it be a car or a camel, a first-class trip to Hawaii, or a live cow dressed in sunglasses and feather boa? Would Carol Merrill point out the features of a new refrigerator, or would Jay Stewart be dressed as an old granny in a giant rocking chair? Let's Make a Deal is a great game show, unless you end up with a camel instead of a car. And that's the kind of deal that Esau made with Jacob. Chuck Swindoll writes, in the deal of a lifetime, Esau emerged the loser. Horrible decision. Sure, Esau may have been a little hungry after a day of hunting with his dad, but he got royally ripped off and he knew it. There were no curtains or boxes to deceive Esau. Jacob may have been shrewd, but in this instance, he wasn't a con artist. He wasn't a crook. He wasn't a cheater. He took advantage of Esau's weakness, but he did not lie. Esau knew that he was trading a car for a camel and he did it anyway. Esau gave up his future for a lousy bowl of soup. Feeling good physically was his number one passion, and it cost him dearly. Men, I don't know if there's a more appropriate passage in this Bible for us to study than the story of Jacob and Esau. The devil's primary passion is to get you and I to fill up on the things of this world. He wants us to constantly crave instant gratification so that he can destroy our future. As a Christian, our promise, our inheritance, our future is life forever with Jesus Christ. And the devil doesn't want you and I to think about that. He wants us to buy into this, if it feels good, do it mentality. And he wants you to do it now. Sports make you look good. So live your life for your sport not for Jesus Christ. Academics are where it's at. They get you fame, they get you attention, they get you free money for college. So find your satisfaction in report cards and honor societies and degrees. And the biggest application that we men can take from this story, this passage, is sexually. The devil wants us to do whatever feels good sexually, no matter what. He wants us to trade in our purity and our character and our Christianity for sexual pleasure because he wants our soul. And not only does he want your soul, he wants to destroy everything about you while you're here on this earth as well. Don't buy into the devil's schemes. The devil is going to do all he can to get us to buy into sexual lies. And one of the ways he's going to get that ball rolling is to saturate our eyes with trash. 
And please hear me, I'm not just talking about pornography. I'm talking about regular TV. I'm talking about regular TV on major networks at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. I'm talking about halftime shows for major sporting events. So much of the trash that is on TV depicts the good life as one that involves sexual pleasure outside of marriage. And men watching, it is a lie. It's a lie that we need to stop allowing to dominate our minds. You know what I wish? I wish the Bible included more details about Esau's demeanor and his state of mind immediately after he ate that bowl of soup. Do you know what I think Esau said after he finished that last drop of soup? This is the R.I.V., Uh, the Rick International version, but after finishing that bowl of soup, I'm sure Esau said, that's it? You gotta be kidding me. There's gotta be more. Did I just give up my inheritance for that? That's the R-I-V. How many girls do you think wake up the morning after they give their virginity away and ask the same exact thing? That's it? I gave up my virginity for that? I gave it up for him? And guys, it all starts by protecting our eyes. Are you willing to give up some popular TV shows? Are you willing to give up some rated R movies so that you can protect your eyes and protect your future? Not only will you protect your future, but you're also gonna protect the eyes and maybe the future of the young people that we love so much that so many times are sitting next to us in our living rooms digesting all of this trash as well. One of the biggest keys to saying no to soup is to be full on steak. And here's what I mean by that. I am a whole lot more likely to say no to the junk this world lives, force junk throws at me when I keep my focus on Jesus, when I'm filling up on him every day. Bring me a Big Mac and I will inhale it unless I've just eaten steak at Longhorn or Outback. The magic formula if there is one in this Jesus stuff, is to just have a daily dose of it. It's when you're starving spiritually that you start craving things that aren't from God. So how full are you of Jesus right now? How's your appetite for God? I know I'm looking at some people right now on screen that have been Christians for 30, 40, 50, maybe 60 years. How's your appetite for God? The Bible says to hide God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. The more we fill ourselves up and indulge ourselves in Jesus, the less likely we are to fill up on the trash that the devil can make look so appetizing. Flip ahead in your Bible to Genesis 27. We're gonna look at a a big chunk of scripture and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Look at verse one. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Verse five. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game 
and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Look at verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Remember, he had a hairy garment, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also was covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game that you may give me your blessing. Look at verse 20. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know that you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. Look at verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn son Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't it he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked him, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Jacob, I have made him Lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grains and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? 
bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. The final thought that I want to throw at you this morning before we wrap up is simply this. Sin is progressive. Jacob's shrewdness didn't end with his let's make a deal that helped him acquire the birthright back in Genesis 25. Here, he does in fact lie and cheat as he deceives Isaac by stealing the superior blessing as well. Jacob dressed up like Esau. He smelt like Esau and he even prepared a meal just like the one Esau would prepare and he did it with some help uh, from his mom. Some deceitfulness on her part too but the fact is his sin got progressively worse. Notice in verse 20 of chapter 27 that he even brings God into his lies. When Isaac asked Jacob who he thought was Esau, how he was able to find some game and prepare it so quickly, Jacob replied, the Lord your God gave me success. Esau's sin got progressively worse as well. His decision to trade in a bowl of soup for a birthright led to thoughts of killing Jacob. He even deliberately disobeyed his parents by marrying a Canaanite woman. It's interesting, but the story of Jacob and Esau does end with a positive. If you flip ahead to Genesis 33, Jacob and Esau are reunited after years of going their separate ways. Esau has 400 men with him at the time. And after the way that Jacob had cheated Esau, you would think this reunion was gonna be a violent one. But that's not the case. A desperate prayer by Jacob for protection from God in Genesis 32, 11 may have saved his life. But look at verse four in Genesis 33 and we'll be done. Don't miss this. Genesis 33, verse four, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around him and his neck and kissed him and they wept. In verse 11 of Genesis 33, Jacob presented Esau with a present, which was a portion of the blessing that he had received from Isaac. What an incredible ending. It sounds like a Disney movie. Sounds like a Lifetime movie. And you know what? You and I can have that incredible ending as well. You and I can't change what we've done in our past. Jacob and Esau both did some really bonehead stuff in the past where they didn't honor God, but they still managed to resolve their conflict and to get back on track. Their past failures did not end up affecting their future. Doesn't matter how many times you've traded Jesus for some temporary pleasure in the past. Those situations are over and done with. What you and I need to focus on are the future that we have through Jesus Christ. And my friends, that future starts today. This morning, I wanna challenge you to be reconciled to God. And reconciled is a big churchy word that I think kind of simply means this. Ask God for forgiveness for the lousy mistakes that you've made in the past and ask him to be the new leader of your life from this day forward. The Bible promises that if we lay our failures at the foot of the cross, that we will, in fact, be reconciled to him. The Bible promises that if we confess our sins to God, that he will remember our sins no more. Esau ran to meet Jacob. What a vivid image of God's amazing love for us. Just as, as Esau did with Jacob, God is ready to embrace you to throw his arms around you and to forgive you if you'll just run to him.